The official Aston Villa Supporters Trust. Star guests, players, famous fans. Subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts. Now, here's Johnny Gould. Welcome along to the Aston Villa Supporters Trust podcast, the first since our AGM with Christian Perslow and Tony Daly. Those podcasts still available, scroll down to have a look. And since coronavirus lockdown and with it the football season 2019-2020 is curtailed. It's also the first since fellow director and erstwhile podcast partner Howard Hodgson stepped down as a director. And on behalf of all the Villa Trust directors, thank you Howard for your generosity and contribution to the Supporters Trust over many years. And on a personal note, we've shared some very special and enjoyable moments together. Now, I've got a great guest lined up today in a feature loosely called He Supports the Villa. In my rounds, I come across a surprisingly large brother and sisterhood of Villa supporters in all walks of life, and hopefully... I'll bring one or two of them to this very microphone. The first in this feature is the former Joint Chief of Staff, no less, of Theresa May's Premiership, Nick Timothy, a born and bred Brummie, Villa season ticket holder, and now Delhi Telegraph columnist. He talks about going to school in Aston, but a stone's throw from Villa Park, his favourite player and memories, plus how his own political philosophies were forged by a great elder from our own city. Stay tuned for a conversation I hope you'll enjoy. So, what have we been up to at the Trust? Well, with no football, our role has changed somewhat. Firstly, our concerns at the form Project Restart would take. On behalf of all supporters, we wrote to the Chief Executive Christian Perslow and said... We're opposed to football behind closed doors. It's a game that needs fans above all, and the views of our supporters must be weighed up against the financial considerations of the Premier League, who seem motivated by financial rather than footballing considerations. Christian Perslow has said, we've got six home games left to play, and I think any Villa fan would agree that giving up that advantage is a massive decision for somebody running Aston Villa. We're joined by Watford and Brighton, who also oppose playing games at neutral venues. The integrity of competition is definitely compromised by that plan. Now, we raised, well, I can't quite remember how much, several hundred pounds for the great work of the Aston Villa Foundation from the sale of hospitality and other tickets for the Carabao Cup final. Uh, we've donated £1,000 to the University Hospital's Birmingham Foundation Trust and a further £250 to a North Birmingham group towards the needs of key workers. And donations are still open. You can still donate essential items like non-perishable foods and toiletries, tin food, pasta, rice, shower gel, moisturiser, that kind of thing, which will then be passed on to the staff in Birmingham's hospitals, all in partnership with Birmingham Central Mosque. So all you need to do is text your name and address and details of your items to be donated, including the quantity, to this number, 07971 394 That's 07971 394 And we'll arrange collection. All items must be packed hygienically with health and safety as priority. Or if you just want to give cash, justgiving.com slash UHB charity. Justgiving.com slash UHB charity. And if you haven't renewed your membership of the trust 
or you're thinking about doing it for the very first time, remember 20% of your membership will go straight to our charity initiative. Renew now or join for the first time at villatrust.org.uk. Now, Aston Villa is a wonderful community, as colourful as the city and history that many of us hail from. I've met and become friends with so many people in all walks of life, and we all know who the celebrity and famous fans are. And today's guest walked the corridors of Downing Street Power as recently as 2017. It's Nick Timothy, author of Remaking One Nation, The Future of Conservatism, and he cites one of Birmingham's greatest figures in history, Joseph Chamberlain, as his political hero. Nick Timothy, welcome to the Villa Trust podcast. Thanks for having me. Now, us Brummies, we get unfairly criticised by our accent. You know, we're the city that was the, the workshop of the world, the Industrial Revolution, as, as a fellow Brummie. I'm also fascinated by the history and philosophy of Joseph Chamberlain, leader of the opposition, Lord Mayor of Birmingham, father of the man with the piece of paper in his hand, peace in our time, Neville Chamberlain, and the man so instrumental in building Birmingham into the world's greatest city in Victorian times. Nick, you probably work out, I'm as patriotic as being a Brummie as I am a Briton. Me too, quite right. (laughs) That is it. Um, well, I mean, Jay Chamberlain is actually my political hero. Uh, he um, uh, he was actually born in London, but travelled up to Brum quite young um, to look after the family business, where he transformed the family business uh, into uh, one of the most successful uh, firms of his day. And he was a pretty enlightened uh, employer, and uh, and you know cared for cared for his staff and gave them good conditions to work in and so on. Um, but he, uh, I think it was partly that experience uh, that led him into politics and he became a campaigner for uh, free universal uh, education um, and then became uh, the mayor of the city where in just a short space of time completely transformed the place uh, where it was you know, dank, dirty, uh, um, pretty insanitary and unsafe. Um, and he municipalised the water and the gas, um, uh, and and rebuilt uh, large parts of the city centre, um, and and uh, kind of unbelievably these days, uh, I think um, the city was described as the best governed in the world. Um, so and then he went into parliament, and uh, and although started started off as a liberal. Uh, became a liberal unionist, uh, which went into co- a group of liberals who went into coalition with the conservatives, and in in that guise, then gave the conservatives sort of social reforms uh, that they introduced in the eighteen nineties and early nineteen hundreds, much more um, better housing, more education, and so on. So I think he was I think he was an all round great man, a brummy. Uh, a patriot uh, and a social reformer. So all the things I like, really. And you're an interventionist conservative by philosophy as well. Uh, you talked about, quotes, Erdington modernisation after the uh, suburb you grew up in, not far from Villa Park, of course. We mourn the most famous Erdington icon there is. And I'm not talking about that Chinese restaurant that seemed to be there forever and ever on the right-hand side. The one just 60 yards up from it, the sign service, the man up the ladder. 
um, which is, uh, I, I hope you remember that, uh, Nick. It, it's well, I've actually got to correct you here because this is, this is one of the weird things about the way uh, your profile can build when you um, accidentally or otherwise uh, become a bit famous or notorious. Um, uh, I'm actually not from Erdington, never lived there. Uh, I, grew up in, I grew up in Tile Cross, uh, which is uh, just near Marston Green and Shard End. Ooh, uh, Birmingham so City country. Ooh. Exactly, there's Ooh, loads dear. of green noses around there. Oh. I've also got a, I've got a dreadful confession to make in that respect. In that, but my my dad and his side of the family are all blue noses. Um, uh, but my, <laughs> well, I mean, uh, I mean, I'm sure secretly he is. Um, <laughs> secretly, yeah. <laughs> uh, but my my yes. mum's side of the family are all are all Villa fans, and my maternal grandfather got to me before anybody else did. So uh, that was why my brother and I are Villa fans, and we had. Uh, we had season tickets uh, all the way through our childhoods and used to go with uh, with our mum, which uh, is not the sort of usual stereotype of the family day at the football. Um, but I did I did write a piece about Erdington, uh, Erdington conservatism or Erdington modernisation. My, my point was that uh, was that basically the Tory party needed to change to make itself much more uh, interested in uh, the fortunes of, of working class families. I uh, would need to change its policies accordingly. But as a result of me writing that piece, lots of people then mistakenly wrote that I was from Erdington, which I'm not. I see. Tile Cross, Marston Green, 779 after the 021 as we were growing up. That is a very, very good memory. Yes, mate. Yes, mate. I, I, am, a, I am that brummy. Uh, been down in London for 30 years, but it changes nothing about my identity, I've got to tell you. Now, um, I am the same as you in that my love for the villa came through my maternal side. Uh, my mum didn't take me to games, and my dad learnt to like football because of my obsessions. But my grandfather arrived in Birmingham in 1939 as an ex-professional footballer with Hakoa Vienna, the famous Hakoa wow. Vienna. And uh, my great uncle played with the team, the remnants of the team who'd won the league title. He was a teenager when they won the league in Austria in uh, the early 20s. And Jimmy Hogan, the uh, future Aston Villa manager, was the coach of Hakoa Vienna. Um, so we had a pretty damn good cultural start in the city. Amazing. And yeah. uh, his shop, my dear late grandfather, was the shop next to Aston Station, uh, Litchfield Road by Lover's Walk. Uh, which, oh, wow. yeah. uh, which uh, is now unfortunately not much of a walk at all. It's uh, barbed wired and uh, it just basically leads out to the Aston Distressway and then you can see the beautiful temple that is Villa Park just further away. But it is the place I get off the train and do the little walk just to pay tribute to the shop that isn't there anymore, but the Britannia pub opposite very much. Amazing. Is. That is, a, that is, that is, that is a, a well-trodden path that I've known uh, for many years because I, I not only... Uh, uh, for me, because uh, not only have I been uh, going to Villa Park for uh, 35 years, I'm now 40, so probably about 35 years, uh, I actually went to school in Aston um, uh, at the King Edwards, the school just by Villa Park. Uh, so, so Aston is a part of the city I've, uh, I've known and loved for, for many years. You could even see um, you could see Villa Park from from our playing fields when we were supposed to be playing rugby uh, on Trinity Road. <laughs> so I, I went to Handsworth Grammar, but my good friend Phil Williams, now of uh, BBC Radio 2, a veteran of uh, BBC Radio 5 Live, said he chose Aston Grammar because you could see Villa Park outside of double geography. 
<laughs> exactly, exactly. It was a big, it was a big pull, I think, for uh, for applying to us. And I remember, and I remember doing my GCSEs in nineteen ninety six, and it was in the middle of Euro ninety six, and we um, uh, we left with whichever exam it was. I don't remember. And it was the day Scotland played the Netherlands at Villa Park, oh, and yes. the whole place was absolutely like absolutely crazy and it was a real sort of party blaze it was it was such a brilliant experience coming out and seeing all of that absolutely now uh, i mean you know aston grammar school might think it has the heritage with aston villa that might be closer to my school handsworth grammar but it was the bridge trust which is the uh, old ancient uh, funding um, of our school which was intended to pay for the bridges in handsworth in staffordshire around the river uh, in the area, which ended up sort of becoming uh, a sort of a massive trust over a couple of centuries, sold the Aston Lower Grounds to the Good Burgers of uh, Villa in the late 1880s, where the ground was then situated and bought. And what I love so much about Villa Park is that with Aston Hall just up the hill, um, behind, or should we say, parallel to the Halton by the Trinity, you can still get a flavour of that uh, Victorian atmosphere and about how the back-to-back houses were built just below the hill, behind Villa Park, the Lodge Road where um, the, you know Ozzy Osbourne came from. You can see the emergence of an industrial Birmingham, you know, growing out of the countryside. Yeah, I think th- th- actually the view I really like is the one where you sort of you come around the corner and uh, and as you walk up, you've got the church on the right mm. and you've got uh, Aston Hall on the left and then the Holt End in front of you. Yeah. Uh, and obviously for me, like, you know, my school is over on the left as well. Um, uh, so, yeah, it's uh, I think it's I think it's lovely. And you and actually, interestingly, uh, these days, there's um, there's been a, um, a bit of a development spurt with lots of sort of light engineering and manufacturing places. Um, uh, uh, over by where the old Villa Leisure Centre was, um, which in a way I think feels like the area's almost returning to its kind of industrial roots a little bit. Oh, I do hope so. Now, um, your first game. So you've been going down the Villa for 35 years, so you missed out on the League Championship and European Cup season. So the 90s, when there was a bit of a resurgence, when we were winning League Cups every other year under Ron Atkinson and Brian Little, was that the first set of games you went to, or are you even bigger vintage than that? I'm uh, a bigger vintage than that. I, um, I, I mean, I obviously claim credit because I was alive when we won the league and the European <laughs> Cup. But um, my my mum used to my mum used to go through all that period, and then she was she was um, pregnant with my little brother uh, in '82, so you couldn't <laughs> couldn't couldn't in any way go to the final, which uh, I think is still a still a bit of a sore point between <laughs> her and my, my brother. Um, and no, I think, so I have a kind of fairly hazy memory of my first game, because I think I was only about five or six. Um, it was, I think it was against Man City. It was a fairly drab draw. Um, and I've got this specific memory um, of, uh, I think it was Steve Hunt on the front of the cover. Um, but I, so I think, I think that was my first game, but I, I've actually not sort of, uh, traced it exactly, uh, but we got season tickets um, in. Um, I think it was in the. I think it was in the Joseph Venglosh season. Was our first year we got season tickets, uh, standing on the Holt end, uh, and you know having to sort of 
being little, having to turn up like more than an hour in advance with your uh, with your milk crate, uh, <laughs> trying to get trying to get your favoured your favoured spot uh, behind the bars, uh, so that you might be able to see something. Uh, so 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 actually, the I think the the big Ron years and the Brian Little years came, uh, you know, a fair bit later. Um, uh, but those are those are you know they, that big Ron team brings back also very happy memories with Dino and Dalian up front and. Uh, you know that goal at Wimbledon that Dalian scored. Those were those were great days. And the first cup I saw us win was the League Cup at the Old Wembley in in '94 under Big Ron. Indeed, and I'm working out that you were just sort of a teenager then. So, uh, if you were at the Steve Hunt game, this was in the dying embers of a team struggling by staying in the first division and then awfully relegated just four years after being. European champion. So a bit like me, it got better and it got better faster as your voice broke and you started growing into uh, an adult. I mean, for me, my uh, first game also, by coincidence, was a midweek game at home to Manchester City in 1977. And we got spanked, actually. We lost 4-1. It's a very famous game. A lot of Villa fans of my vintage remember it. Dennis Tewitt scored a hat-trick and we expected to do well. We'd finished fourth and won the League Cup, which is exactly what we repeated under Brian Little in 1996. And then it all fell away in a very, very similar way. Uh, And I thought supporting the Villa was easy back in those days because it just got better and better and better and better until it culminated in the League Championship, the European Cup, the European Super Cup. Damn it, we lost to Peñarol to not just quite be the world champions at that point. But... Uh, Ron Atkinson definitely put the lights back on in the yeah, 90s. I mean, we really, really could have been the first Premier League champions. And that could word is it's just part of being a Villa fan. Yeah, I mean, I sort of, to be honest, I think that's the great what-if season because it was just about the, the points at which the money was starting to come into football. Um, it was like sky money, return of European football. Um, and we were great that season, weren't we? We had Dino and Dalian up front, and then I think didn't Dalian act as I think he he had a stomach. I think he did something to, to a stomach muscle, and and his injuries coincided with the season tailing off. But you sort of Man United hadn't really won a great deal until that point, um, not for quite a while. And and you know if that if if we'd managed to take that title that season, uh, then you know that could have potentially uh, led to something quite lasting. And sadly, it didn't. Yeah, that's the thing. Of course, if we'd won the league that year, it would have been another league title after 12 years, um, having won it in 81. And then, of course, we'd been runners-up under Graham Taylor, that beautiful team of 1890 yeah. with, with King David Platt. I, uh, someone on Twitter uh, said to me, you know, what's your most controversial Villa view, Villa opinion? And uh, mine is uh, that David Platt is the greatest player I've ever seen at Aston Villa. Oh wow! Uh, well, I think, I think to be honest, I think my footballing sophistication as a primary school pupil in those days probably wasn't great enough to to judge. But I do remember. I remember that Platt era uh, pretty pretty well. I I remember. I think my probably my first European night uh, was the game where we beat Inter two nil uh, oh, before no. then managing to lose three 0 at the San Siro. Yeah. Um, Sort of fighting back tears when I went to bed oh, uh, after losing three now. Um, uh, so I, so God, would um, would David Platt be the greatest player of our era? I don't. I, 
I th- I th- I'm probably a bit of a cliche, but I think I would I would probably instinctively always go to Paul McGrath. Yes, but that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, everyone loves Maka because he's such. Um, you know, so much, so much love, not just for his supreme defending. And don't get me wrong, McGrath is, you know, we shouldn't have signed him. We, we signed him because Fergie wanted to kick out his drinking mates, didn't he? And, and for some reason held on to Brian Robson, uh, but got rid of, uh, you know, the White Sides and the McGraths. And we inherited yeah. this absolutely super player. Occasionally we do that sort of thing. We signed a player above our station with Martin Larson because of the succession of inter- injuries that he had with Milan. Um, as well, but uh, but still, David Platt, you know, 27 goals in his England career, that amazing, majestic, sort of almost acrobatic posture that he had. Um, I I just, I love that, I mean, look, he's not popular because he, he, he goes on about Villa in disparaging terms. He goes on about Villa in many, many disparaging, <laughs> all sorts of things which make him unpopular, but even so, his football, I think, um, is, uh, is something that uh, we could really do with. He's a modern footballer. Yeah, he is, and that you know the goal he scored for England in that uh, World Cup game against Belgium in Italia '90 was uh, was fantastic. I think the thing about the thing about McGrath is it, it's um, I think the, the the frailty and the vulnerability sort of adds to the sense of legend, doesn't it? And you know the fact that he could do all of that while having the personal problems he had and still you know drinking and the sort of legendary phrases that whether they're apocryphal or not i don't know but the sort of the, my favorite is the more you train the more you have to um uh so it just adds to the sense of legend with him which uh which you can sort of see why it why it continues now the next generation of aston villa supporter will probably say jack Grealish is the player i most remember as the greatest of all time what do you think his future at Villa is? Is he reliant upon us remaining in the Premier League? Or do you think he could be like Steve Bull, like Gary Neville, like absolutely no one I can else think of in football at the moment, but be that one-club man because a move to Spurs, Manchester United, that would just be a move sideways. Well, I mean, I think... Well, am I gonna am I gonna talk with my heart or my head? Um, Ooh, I mean, does. somebody just tie him down and only let him out on match days and make him stay at the club. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I'm actually a bit forgiving towards footballers. I know a lot of fans sort of say, well, uh, you know, some such and such is a traitor for leaving or whatever. You know, their playing careers are short. Um, and you know we can always say give it another few years, but you know that that might be the difference between playing Champions League football or not, or sort of winning trophies or not. And you know playing around t- players who are as good as uh, somebody like Jack. So you know if he did choose to leave, um, I, I, you know, I I wouldn't, I couldn't hold it against him. Um, but I. But you know, I just I just want him to stay for as long as possible. I mean, if he um, if he if he did, then we could build a team around him, and I'd have some confidence that that we will grow from where we are right now. And that's the issue here. The Premier League is grappling with the idea of uh, cancelling the season, which would obviously cancel be... it, shut it yeah, down. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that is the answer here. But it would take away the competitive nature of football, the consistency. And we've already seen the European Championship finals, Euro 2020 becoming 2021. So we've got a year to play this season. And I think competitively, that's what we should do. Liverpool need to be crowned champions on merit and Aston Villa need to finish fourth bottom by the same token. 
well, I mean, that, that's very admirable of you, but I, just, I, don't, I don't care how we stay up. I just want to stay. <laughs> it's true, because uh, though we would have the parachute, and we've got an excellent management, haven't we, in terms of Christian Perslow and committed ownership, Sawiris and Edens. What a step back that would be. Christian Perslow made the point that there are basically 16 clubs in the top flight that could get relegated at any time. And Aston Villa, unfortunately, despite being ever-present in the Premier League for over two decades beforehand, are vulnerable like that. Yeah, I mean, I think the truth... I mean, it seems to me that the truth about um, success in the modern Premier League era with things like financial fair play and you know we've got these incredibly wealthy owners and there's a limit to what they can do apart from to invest in the ways in which the um the club will be better run in the medium term so the key i think has to be about um incremental improvement because you can't just suddenly buy a champions league squad uh with a crazy sum of money um and and it's going to take time to to build in a way that means that you can attract some of the best players, and if you're, you know, if you've got a transfer budget of like you know, 100 million or whatever uh, every summer, then then you can see how there's a big difference from your first season promoted back to how you might be after two, three, four years um, back in the division. Uh, so I think I think that I think they're trying to do the right things. It feels like a much better run club these days. Perslo seems to be like. He's, he's good news. He speaks intelligently. Uh, I approve of the director of football uh, um, setup, which means that we can have some consistency beyond changes of manager. Although I do hope Dean uh, is able to stay for a long while. I hope he's successful. Um, and I think, to be honest, we, as fans, we've got to be patient. We've got to understand that it's going to take a few years for us to build from where we are right now. Every time we lose three or four games on the hoof, Dean Smith gets under terrible pressure on, on Twitter. But, you know, Dean Smith has truly earned his spurs to be Villa manager in a way that bringing in Sam Allardyce in the last dozen games would be probably the most depressing footballing swerve that could happen. Everton did it. Palace have done it. It doesn't belong at Villa. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I thought you were overly romantic about the need to finish the season earlier, but uh, <laughs> but I, I share your romanticism in the fact that I, I do not want something like Allardyce at the Villa. Um, so he's just not, he's not a Villa guy. Um, he's not. And, and you know, Dino, Dino got us up when, when it seemed absolutely impossible. Uh, and I think he... Uh, and and he's got a he's got a good football philosophy, and and I just think he I think he deserves his chance. Finally, Nick Peter with scoring the goal in the European Cup final in Rotterdam is my favourite moment. What's yours? Oh God! <laughs> on the spot. <laughs> that is really on the spot. Um, I think. Poor, um Well, I mean, I think I could. Uh, I think I could talk about like cup finals or uh the, you know the couple of cup finals or playoff finals or whatever that i've uh been able to see us win but actually there's a really specific memory i've got uh of the night when it's an odd memory because i think we got knocked out on the night um uh but the game against atletico madrid where collimore scored uh from distance uh i think it was the second goal which put us 2-1 up um may have been the equalizer memory memory plays tricks on you but anyway we scored this Fantastic goal against Atletico Madrid, and the and the whole end uh, just 
I, it was rocking so hard. I genuinely thought that there was something wrong with the stand because it felt like it was shaking. <laughs> and and I, you know, I love I, I love the villa. I love Villa Park. My season ticket these days is in the Trinity Road uh, to try to save my nephew from hearing some of the words he might hear on the whole tent, according to my sister-in-law. <laughs> um, and but there's nothing like being on the whole tent. And and obviously the romantic in me says there's nothing like standing on the whole tent as well. And and to me, that memory is about is what it is to be a Villa fan. I love it. Nick Timothy, thank you very much for joining us on the Aston Villa Supporters Trust podcast. Thanks for having me.